Welcome back to Navy Yard, Nats fans. Walters would like to thank you in advance for masking up starting Saturday as D.C. COVID restrictions have been put back in place, requiring everyone dining indoors to wear a mask. While this isn't what Walters was hoping for, Walters will comply with D.C. regulations. Walters would also like to thank Max Scherzer for the last seven years. It's been a real pleasure watching greatness every five days. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For 10 straight years, we competed with the best and brightest in all of baseball. We were as good as anybody in the, in the game. We won four division titles. We've been in the playoffs five times. We won a World Series with this group. And there's no shame in having to take a step back, refocus, reboot, and start the process again. And that's what we're preparing to do. Swing and a drive in the air to deep right center. Back goes Hayward again, looking up. This may go, and it is gone. Goodbye. Bang! Zoom goes Luis Garcia with a home run over the big wall in right center field. Here's the set now. Pitch on the way. Swing and a line drive. Caught by Garcia in the air. Sprawling to his left to the edge of the outfield grass. And a curly W's in the books. Luis Garcia with a sprawling play to end it. And welcome to Nat Chat for Saturday, July 31st, 2021. Yes, the final day of July. What has been a nightmare of a month for the Nats. Maybe a worse month in Nats history. A month worse than July 2021, given everything that has happened. I will hang up and take your answer off the air. Anyway, along with Nationals Insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com, I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast, a 4-3 Nats win over the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park on Friday night, marking essentially the first day of the uh, rest of our lives when it comes to following the Nats, but the win coming at the end of a day in which the Nats complete a sell-off like few sell-offs in, forget Nats history, I would say Major League history. How many other teams have done what the Nats have just completed here, a total of eight players traded for a total of 12 prospects, a massive facelift for the franchise, resulting in the likes of Gabe Klobositz pitching for the Nats on Friday night. Gabe Klobositz, 6'7", 270. He wears stirrups. He was a 36-round selection of the Nats in the 2017 MLB draft. Mark, my birthday is on December 13th. I would like for you to buy for me a Gabe Klobositz jersey. Is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. He might be the new Paolo. He may be Klobo. We may need the Klobo shirts here soon. Huh? 
Hey, this is a new era. This is a new era of Nationals baseball. And know what? They're 1-0 in that new era. And they gained a game on the Mets, who lost. And they're six and a half back. And that's all I'm going to say about that. We're not going to go into any more of that. But I'll tell you what. Being here at the ballpark tonight, it's a crowd of 33,000 fans. You know, obviously, there are some here who were sad and upset. And, and you could tell that it wasn't quite the same energy, especially early. And as the game played out, they were playing well. And they held a lead. They're kind of starting to get into it. when. Klobositz comes into the game. There were chants in the upper deck of let's go new guy, sure. which was kind of good. And then Kyle Fingen comes in for the ninth. And I'm telling you what, they were all on their feet, standing and applauding. And when Luis Garcia caught the final out, there was a roar. And if you closed your eyes and you didn't know any better, you would have thought this was an important game in a pennant race. So I don't know what the rest of this season holds for them, but I will tell you that this was truly just the ball game itself, truly an enjoyable night at the ballpark. The home team played well. The young guys were hungry. They made the most of it. The crowd enjoyed it. It was almost like a little breath of fresh air after everything else that we've experienced. I think if you're a Nationals fan, you 100% deserved and earned whatever good vibes were in effect on Friday night. I know that you're kidding when you bring up the standings, but the National League East is so bad, I don't think anyone should be surprised if the Nats are mildly in it for at least another few weeks here. The New York Mets are atop the division now at 54 and 48 with a minus two run differential and all kinds of injury concerns, including Jacob deGrom being injured again. Every other team in the division has a losing record. This to me would not be that stunning if the Nats actually make some sort of mild charge here toward the division. Now, again, are they going to win it? Probably not. But this is kind of the state of the division here this season. But yeah, Friday ends up being the day on which one of the all-time sell-offs comes to its culmination. And I want to again applaud the Nats for what they have done. I know a lot of Nats fans are not happy. I know even more Nats fans are sad. I get all that. But at the end of the day, this to me is a very good thing that the Nationals have done. It was interesting. I was watching Mike Rizzo's press conference and he talked about how, you know what, this was exciting from a baseball standpoint. And I think he's right. This was exciting. Like it it was sad, but it was also exciting. And, And you know, you're allowed to experience dual emotions with something like this. But the Nats went all in on this sell-off. There was no hesitation. There was no wishy-washy. There was no, well, we want to do this, but we don't want to do that. The Nats were aggressive. The Nats were bold. The Nats have brought in a total, again, of 12 prospects to a farm system that was in dire need of an infusion of prospects. And we'll see what these guys end up being. But I think it's okay to, while you you want to lament the losses of Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, fine, but it's okay to be a little excited about these things and to be thinking about the future and, and to be saying, you know what? This may not feel great in the moment, but this was a good thing overall that the Nats just completed. There's certainly a faction of this organization in the front office that had probably been waiting for this day for a little while, to be honest, that probably knew the writing was on the wall and felt like it just needed to finally happen. And when it does finally happen, you're able to go out and say, we get to reshape our organization for the future. For some people, I think that is an exciting thing. Now, for the guys in the clubhouse who are here right now and are finishing out this season and don't really know what the future holds beyond that, that's a much tougher proposition for them. But like I said, to their credit, they went out and played with energy. They played well and won the game. So that part of it was fine. But take the last, I don't know, however many years for this organization. This day, or I guess these two days together, could end up being among the most consequential in franchise history. You know, it's a different kind of consequential than some of the other really big moments for them. But if this ultimately leads to where they want it to go, we will look back on July 29th and July 30th, 2021, as the end of one era and the start of another one. And that the hope is that this ultimately 
leads to another one. I thought maybe the most interesting thing that Rizzo said, or the thing that, that stuck with me the most about what he said, was that in his first year as GM, 2009, when he took over, that was the low point for the franchise. There was nothing lower than that. This was the Smiley Gonzalez scandal. This was they had failed to sign their top draft pick, Aaron Crow. They hadn't yet drafted Steven Strasburg. They were coming off a 100-loss season. That was the low point. We started this thing in, in 2009 way below where we're at today as far as organizationally, and it took us three years to uh, to win 98 games. Their first division title, and you saw the beginnings of the core group that now would lead them all the way to ultimately to a World Series in 2019. And he said, where they're at right now is in a much better position than that was in 2009. Now, obviously, they got a long way to go. But if he feels like they did this once in three years, starting from the absolute basement to get to 98 wins and they're in a better position now, you know, maybe it's not as daunting a task as it sounds. Let's see. There's a long way to go. A lot of things have to happen. But I think people should be more encouraged by where they are, that this isn't necessarily a you know, they're not about to become the Pirates or the Tigers or something like that. This could be, we've seen the Red Sox rebuild fairly quickly. We've seen a few other organizations do it. Maybe this is more along those lines. And this is just the start of that. I agree with Mike on that. This does not have to be some five-year walk in the wilderness in which the team loses 100 games each season. You can rebuild quickly. You can refuel the plane in midair. And I think the Nats are going to try to do that here. I know prospect rankings aren't everything. And There is that saying in baseball of prospects or suspects until proven otherwise. But if you go to the updated list of the top 100 prospects in MLB per MLB pipeline, the Nats now have four of the top 100 prospects in the sport. It was not that long ago that the Nats had zero of the top 100 prospects in the sport. But Cabert Ruiz is at 41. Josiah Gray is at 42. Cade Cavalli is at 77. And Jackson Rutledge now is in the top 100 at number 89. So this is, I think, reason for encouragement. And this is reason to say, okay, you know, all hope is not lost. And while the faces are different and the names now are different, there is reason to believe that success isn't going to be, you know, five years down the line, that things could be better sooner rather than later. Now, with these additional trades that were either finalized or executed on Friday, I have to ask you about the stunner. And this, when I got told this, I was actually doing a radio interview. I was on Bram Weinstein's show. And he, he says to me at the end of the interview, uh, breaking news, the Nats are trading John Lester. And I was like, what? There was a market for John Lester? All right, I'll let you go with the breaking news. John Lester was traded, traded to the St. Louis Cardinals for a wow, outfielder. Wow, Lester got but- traded. And sure enough, there was, the Nats traded John Lester and his 5-0-2 ERA to the St. Louis Cardinals for this outfielder, Lane Thomas, who I know his stock has fallen, but he is noted as a fast base runner, a good defensive outfielder. I mean, whatever. If you got a bag of balls, that's a win. But how did this happen? The Nats were able to get something back for John Lester. So I will admit that when the Gomes and Harrison trade to the A's went down, and that was, I think, about 3 o'clock or so, one hour before the deadline, in my head, I was thinking, okay, who else is there? Is that everyone? And I said, okay, I think that's all of the veterans who are going to be free agents at the end of this year. So yeah, I think that's it. And I said, oh, no, wait, there's John Lester. And I said, well, they're not trading Lester. Ha, you know, fat chance of that. So I said, all right, I guess that means they're done. <laughs> and boy, was I wrong, because right at the deadline, there it was, John Lester to the Cardinals. And there was a lot of stuff to ask Rizzo about, so we didn't get specifically to the Lester trade. But 
the Cardinals, who are nine and a half out going into the day and not looking like they have any chance of catching the Brewers, gave up a borderline major league outfielder to the Nationals in exchange for two months of John Lester. And I am fascinated to see how this all ends up and what (laughs) the rationale for that was. And good on Mike Rizzo. He literally traded everyone who was potentially available to do that. That was a a pretty big stunner. I want to make one other point. You're talking about top 100 prospects. So I'm just looking now at MLB Pipeline's top prospects for the Nationals, and they've already updated it. Well, they now have their top two prospects in the organization are now Cabert Ruiz and Josiah Gray, the two players, top two players they got from the Dodgers. They're ahead of Cade Cavalli, and we know Cade Cavalli is pretty highly thought of. So that's already the top two. They also now have Gerardo Carrillo, another one from the Dodgers, is now their number 10 prospect. Aldo Ramirez, who they picked up, I believe that was the Schwarber trade. He's number 11. Riley Adams was the Brad Hand trade. He's number 13. Mason Thompson, who was the Hudson trade, is number 16. So that is six of their top 16 prospects now were just acquired in the last 36 hours. That's a pretty good overhaul. Now, maybe it also tells you where this farm system was, but that does tell you that who they picked up, at least you know half of the players they just picked up are good enough to be in their top 16 prospects now in the organization. This is the future. The fates of those guys is going to go a long way toward determining how soon and how successful the Nationals start winning again. Yeah. And, you know, you want to play this out and uh, and dream a little bit, right? For years, it was Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg atop the Nationals rotation. Maybe as soon as next season, it's Cade Cavalli and Josiah Gray atop the Nationals rotation. You know, eventually Jackson Rutledge joins that bunch. You know, maybe Cole Henry is part of that bunch down the line. Like, this is what you have to be thinking of. Like, this is the mindset now for the Nationals. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Stevenson, Escobar, Soto, Bell, Garcia, Barrera, Para, Kibum, and Espino for the Nationals. So we have this game on Friday night. And look, the lineup, I mean, it, you know, it's a ragamuffin lineup here, right? We're going to get a lot of these moving forward. Andrew Stevenson was the leadoff batter. Alcides Escobar was the number two batter. Imagine being told that back in April. Hey, there's going to be a game on July 30th. And the top two batters in the Nats lineup will be Andrew Stevenson and Alcides Escobar. And that will not be due to injury. You'd be like, what? What happened here? Uh, but yeah, yeah, those guys in there, Luis Garcia is uh, back with the ball club. He was the number five batter in the lineup as a starting second baseman. Carter Keeboom, who we have been told is going to be playing quite a bit and actually got on base three times in this game. He was out there in that number eight spot. This is what we're looking at moving forward, right? Like Tres Pereira is out there at catcher. I mean, it's going to be a lot of these types playing for the Nationals the rest of the season. Yeah, and I think we are going to see at least a couple of the newcomers here pretty soon as well. Those top two prospects I just talked about, Ruiz the catcher and Gray the pitcher, you know, obviously they have to get them to D.C. or Rochester, whatever they decide. But these guys have both been in the big leagues recently for the Dodgers. Under the circumstances here, I have a feeling that the Nationals want to get a look at them and they don't think it's rushing them necessarily to have them in the big leagues. I think we're going to see both of them quite soon. And that will add some interest and intrigue, I think, to the final two months of the season. I'm not sure if any of the others are going to be ready for it yet in 2021. But yeah, it's going to be more of this. And you know what? This is what you do now. You take this opportunity and you find out with the newcomers, what do we got from them? But also, maybe even more importantly, you find out from the guys who have been on the cusp here for a while, but have not stuck or have not been given a full-fledged, just go out there and play everyday opportunity. It's time to find out once and for all, is Carter Keeboom part of the future or not? And he got on base three times in this game. That's great. He also had a play at third. That was kind of a key moment that he couldn't get the glove down in time to field a hard grounder and two runs scored. That's not so good. He hasn't looked particularly good in the field the last few days. Luis Garcia hit a home run. He was hitting for power at Rochester. There's some, a lot of interest and intriguing aspects of this kid who in some ways is like a little mini Soto. He tries to kind of be like one Soto. Obviously, he's not. But that's going to be fascinating to watch. Trace Barrera for the moment is going to get to catch and he continues to look like he's up for it. And there's some pitchers at the end of the bullpen as well, such as Kyle Finnegan, who has now saved two games in a row. And he looked very comfortable in the ninth inning in a one-run game with the crowd kind of on their feet. That was a big moment for him. And, and just the guys we talked to afterwards, you could see there's like excitement for them. That like, yeah, they're disappointed that they're no longer in a pennant race officially. You know, may, maybe they are technically in a pennant race, but that the page has been turned. They're disappointed in that. And yet they also know this is a huge opportunity for them. And this is their moment now to shine and and make a career for themselves. Well, I'll say this too. If more than one of these guys ends up excelling down the stretch, you know, displaying improvement, you're going to exit this season with some pretty good feelings about things. Like, let's say Carter Keeboom somehow is able to get on track here and play well over these final two months. That's a win. Like, all of a sudden, you say, well, you know what? We thought this guy was a bust. Because the season went down the tubes, he ended up playing every day over the final two months of the season, and he did well. And maybe, just maybe, you do have something in Carter Keeblum. Like you said, gets on base three times on Friday night, two-out single, bottom of the second, one-out single, bottom of the fourth, two-out seven-pitch walk, 
in that Nats one run six. You mentioned the defensive miscue. That was a tough moment. You know, it's not necessarily an error, but, you know, it's a hard hit grounder. It goes under his glove, ends up being a two out, two run first pitch single by Patrick Wisdom in the top of the eighth, uh, cut the Nats lead to 4-3. A ground ball eluded Keeboom to his left, Ortega scoring from third. The Garcia homer was great, solo shot with one out off uh, Jake Arrieta in the bottom of the second. The homer, a solo homer going uh, projected 402 feet for StatCast. Tres Pereira, another multi-hit game. I mean, I don't know what this means long-term, but two more singles for the guy. Man, has he done a nice job offensively here. And Andrew Stevenson had a double, a uh, leadoff full count opposite field double to left in the Nats one run third. So I want to ask you this. Nats are playing all these young guys. I know Davey is so down on Victor Robles and has been throughout this season. Given that the Nats are tapping out on the season, why is Gerardo Parra the starting left fielder? Like, why not have Robles out there every day as your center fielder? And if you want to play Stevenson, have him in left. What really is the point here in playing Gerardo Parra moving forward? So we didn't get around to that one again. There was a lot of stuff to ask pregame. And afterwards, you kind of realize like, oh, wait, what about Robles? Remember, he didn't feel right the other night. Yeah, the uh, back what was the swing. Yeah. yeah. And I can't remember if he's played since then. I think maybe he played some, but not not totally. So there may still be something going on there. So I don't want to completely write this off yet as, you know, he has lost the center field job to Stevenson, even after they've done the sell off. Let's wait and see. I'll try to remember to ask that question if he's not in the lineup on Saturday. But I agree with you. I think if he is healthy, you might as well be playing him the rest of the way. And to be honest, you talk about that lineup they were fielding. If he had played, I, I bet you he would have been batting eighth again. And you know what? Put him at the top spot. Just do it. What do you have to lose? Give it a try. Give him a chance. See what happens. And maybe just maybe it turns out that he's all right there. And if not, then at least you found out. Because whether this team was still contending or not, whether they sold or whether they bought at the deadline, Victor Robles is still a huge question mark going into the next season. Like, we don't really know who their center fielder is. So if you're now in a, a lower pressure environment where this is all about evaluation now the rest of the way, you got to evaluate Victor Robles and figure out once and for all, is he actually the guy or, man, maybe we need to be looking elsewhere for 2022. Yeah, uh, Stevenson did start both games in the doubleheader on Thursday, so maybe it is an injury thing with Robles, but 100%. I mean, you know, Paro is fine, but he should not be playing anymore, or at least not with any real frequency. Like, Robles, Stevenson, Soto. Like, that should be the outfield, barring someone else who's young who deserves playing time moving forward. I did want to ask you this. So you mentioned, well, who else could have been traded, and it turned out Lester could have been traded. Do you think the Nats at all entertained trading Ryan Zimmerman if, in fact, there was any interest in Zimmerman? Now, you might say, well, who's going to call for Zimmerman? Well, who's going to call for Lester? Like, you never know. Do you think the Nats would have pulled the trigger on a Zimmerman trade? I do not. And I think even if he had been performing at a higher level right now, and even if there was interest from other clubs, I don't think they would have even approached him with it. And if they had, remember, he's a 10-5 and guy, so he has the rights just like Max Scherzer did to decline it. And everything that Zimmerman has ever said was that he did not see himself playing for any other team. Now, th this was in an off season when he was uh, now a free agent and deciding, is he going to come back to the Nats or not? And he said he wouldn't sign with anyone else. He said, it's either the Nationals or I'm playing golf every day. I mean, I've never really completely ruled out, I guess, playing somewhere else, but I don't think it could, you know, it really wouldn't be worth it at this point in my career. So... I think even though these next two months may be a little difficult for him to be watching the dismantling of this team that he has known and loved for so long, I don't think he in his heart has any desire to go leave his family for the next two months, play on a contending team and try to win another title. 
Uh, I think he will be perfectly at peace if at the end of the season he had his title in 19, he finished this out, and we're interpreting a little bit. I think we're going to actually talk to him on Saturday just to kind of get his take on the state of things. But I would imagine that the state of the franchise and where things are going might help push him towards retirement at the end of this year. And that's fine. That's great. And I think he will be at peace with that if that's what the decision is. Yeah, I agree with you. And if you're the Nats, I don't think you're going to fight him on that. I don't think it makes much sense to pay Zimmerman, you know, another four or five million dollars for another year when you're trying to go younger and, you know, trying to become more positionally versatile. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. Now the pitch. Swing and a long drive by Bell. Way back. This one is going, going, and long. Gone. Goodbye. In the section 102 the visitors bullpen in left center field bang zoom goes josh bell another guy who the nats in theory could have traded but did not is josh bell now he's under team control through next season and obviously he's done a really good job these last few months another home run for bell on friday night another moonshot a two-out solo homer to left on a one-two pitch from jake arietta in the bottom of the fifth the homer going a projected 430 feet for StatCast. I was thinking about the Bell situation. I was like, well, you know what? Unlike Trey Turner, I mean, it's not it's not going to cost you hundreds of millions of dollars to extend Josh Bell at any point here. Guys with his profile are not welcomed the way they were welcomed 10, 15, 20 years ago. Do you think the Nats entertain trading Bell or do you think they see him as a piece they can lock up at some point here moving forward and maybe he can be a part of the next generation of good Nationals teams? I think at minimum, they see him as their first baseman next year. He'll be affordable. He provides a good production. I mean, you still need somebody to hit behind Soto, okay? I know we're all saying like, hey, let's tear it all down. If you're going to go in, you got to go all the way in. Well, you still got to field a halfway competitive lineup and have a cleanup hitter to hit behind Soto. And so I think Bell is a good one to have for that. And then I'd be surprised if this winter they go to him and say, hey, we want to extend you. I think they would play that out, see how things go next year see what direction the franchise is in, what the other options are, whether there's a DH in the National League at that point, which go a long way toward deciding if you want to lock up a guy longer term than that. But he seems to like it here. They like him. He has 
proven after that awful start to be a, a good, consistently productive power hitter for them and a much better first baseman. He's hitting homers from the right side of the plate now. Like five homers since the All-Star break have been right-handed off lefties. Things are going fine with him. I don't think there's any reason to mess around with that. Ride that one out, bring him back next year, and then kind of decide once you have a better sense of what the long-term plan is here, whether you think he should be a part of it or not. He's done a good job this year, and uh, especially defensively, off his defensive track record having been so bad. So I, I do give him a lot of credit for that. This was a Paolo Espino-started game on Friday night. Paolo was good. One run in five and a third inning, six strikeouts versus one walk. You know, you look at Paolo, our guy, I know it's been a little up and down lately, but the secret weapon over 61 and a third innings this season, that's in 24 games with eight starts, ERA a 308, a whip of 104, 46 strikeouts versus 11 walks. He came into the game with an ERA plus of 119 on the season. That's only going to go up with the updated numbers on baseball reference on Saturday. I don't know what they think of him moving forward. I mean, it's, it's hard to say, okay, Paolo's a piece for the future. But man, he, he really has done a good job this season. And uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, a game like this isn't necessarily the easiest thing in the world. He goes out there and he looks sharp. And uh, I would anticipate this guy ends up being someone who, regardless of the outcome for the team this season, you say, you know what, that was really a nice feel-good story, the Paolo Espino story in that 2021 that season. A hundred percent. And you know what? He didn't even know he was starting this game out till four o'clock when <laughs> Lester was traded. <laughs> now, they, they had told him like, hey, there's a chance that that might happen. So be prepared just in case. But he didn't officially know until three hours before game time that he was starting this game. And he did what Paolo Espino always does. He gives him a chance. He went five plus innings, one run, one walk, six strikeouts, you know, went right after hitter, 76 pitches, boom. Great job. I can tell you they all love him. They love his attitude. They love his positivity. I mean, he, he's a Davey Martinez kind of guy. Always smiling, really appreciative of this opportunity that he has here. I don't know what the future holds beyond this season. I would imagine, though, with Scherzer and Lester both gone now. Hey, by the way, remember all this time we kept saying, what happens when they have too many starters back? How are they going to, who's the odd man out? No, it's never going to happen. They're still going to be looking for five starters the rest of the way. So maybe one of the kids they acquired comes up, but I'm willing to bet that we're going to see a lot of Paolo Espino the rest of the way. And I think that's great. There's nothing wrong with a good feel good story. Everybody in there really respects him. And he's 34, but because he has so little experience, like he's still very cost effective and under club control. And sure, there's every reason to, to want to bring him back. Every pitching staff needs a Paolo Espino. And I, I say that seriously. You need that guy who can do whatever you need him to do, whether it's start, whether relief, can start on a moment's notice, pitch long relief, pitch emergency, closing, whatever that is. The no ego, no nonsense, rubber-armed guy. Every staff needs one of those good and bad teams, and they found one here in Espino, and, and they should hang on to him as long as they can. Yeah, the secret weapon should be back for next season. He costs you nothing, and like you said, he brings a value to a ball club that you certainly need. Well, there was more gloom and doom news with the Nationals on Friday. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred announcing that Starling Castro has been suspended 30 games without pay and has been assessed an undisclosed fine for violating Major League Baseball's joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. This has been now a, uh, a weekly thing. Every Friday, we get Starling Castro news. So it was uh, two Fridays ago, July 16th on which we got the news that he'd been placed on administrative leave. Then the previous Friday, July 23rd, we learned that the stay on administrative leave had been extended through July 29th. And then we get the word on this Friday here, trade deadline day, that Castro has been suspended 30 games without pay, undisclosed fine. The Nats put out a statement saying that they will be releasing Starling Castro upon the completion 
of his suspension. Nobody is surprised by this. The way that Davey Martinez and Mike Rizzo had talked about this clearly uh, was along the lines of Davey and Mike either knowing things or suspecting things, but basically saying without saying that Castro was guilty. They left very little room for, well, let's see how this plays out, you know, innocent until proven guilty. No, they they were pretty adamant that this guy was going to be gone no matter the result of all of this. He ends up being suspended. I, I did want to ask this. So the official policy under which he's being penalized is the Joint Domestic Violence, Sexual Assault, and Child Abuse Policy. Is this definitely a domestic violence situation? Could this be a sexual assault situation? Like, do we know anything about specifically what he was accused of? No, we don't know the exact nature of it. And I don't think that is something that's going to come out. And let's also you know, keep in mind here that at this point, no criminal charges have been filed. This is not a court case. This was MLB conducting its own investigation and making its own ruling. And they are entitled to do that. That is was collectively bargained by the league and the players. They are allowed to do what they did and impose the suspension on him. And the Nationals are allowed to do what they're going to do, which is when the suspension ends. And in theory, he'd be free to come back and play the final month of the season. And the Nationals are already saying, no, we're just going to release him. And they are allowed to do that uh, under these conditions. So I agree with you that whether they knew that he was guilty or whether they knew that he'd be the process would take long enough that they would not have an issue with releasing him. I think they were comfortable saying that. But I, I do think it shows that they claim a zero tolerance policy on this and they're backing it up with that. It's, you know, not out of the question to think that if a few things had gone differently in the last week or two, that this team could be in a very different position right now and could really use Starlin Castro's bat for the rest of the season. And Rizzo said this is before the collapse really of the last week. He said I don't care who you are, what you make, how well you're playing on this team. You're not going to be coming back to be with us. We do not tolerate that kind of thing. So I'm going to believe that that's how they would have approached it no matter what. And so it is a, unfortunately, a sad ending to his chapter with this club, but one that I think they had already determined a couple weeks ago was going to be the case. Yeah. You also think about this too. If this never happens, he was another trade piece because he was hitting well. He finally was doing well this season. They could have flipped him potentially for something. Nat Chat Podcast would like to congratulate our partner, the Bethesda Big Train, on their Cal Ripken League Championship as they defeated the Alexandria Aces. Here's the final call from Ben Bobek and Tyler Gallo. Already set. Two and two. Swing and a miss! He struck him out! And the Big Train go back to back! With a long wait in between, but they finish it and claim their 10th title with an emphatic 4-0 shutout win of the Alexandria Aces. They finish it in two, going undefeated in the playoffs and claim the 2021 crown. There's some celebrating here, ladies and gentlemen, down in Alexandria. It took almost two years and some change for them to do this, but the big train have repeated one more time. Now back to the podcast. All right, we have gotten a lot of good emails off the events of the last 48 hours. You can always email us here at the Nats Chat Podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Email from Ian Peverell. He writes, I'm 20 years old from Alexandria, Virginia, have been a diehard Nats fan my entire life. I'm a huge fan of both the Nats Chat and Al Galdi podcast. Thank you, Ian. He says, I'm heartbroken. The Nats traded Scherzer and Turner, but I knew if the Nats were out of it, they had to move Scherzer. Turner was one of my favorite Nats players from the moment I first heard of him as the player to be named later. I was excited in watching him 
over the past five years. He has blown past every expectation that I had for him. However, I acknowledge that this team is going nowhere and his value was at its highest point. I personally believe the Nats have been on a steady decline since the end of the 2017 season, not 2020. Since the start of 2018, we're 248 and 238. So this is before Friday night. And if you take out the magical run we had in 2019, we're 155 and 169, 14 games below 500. I know that is cherry picking, but I firmly believe we won the World Series on borrowed time. We had an incredible 130 game stretch where no one was injured and our stars were outliving their potential. At the end of the day, I'm upset and sad to see Scherzer and Turner gone, but I trust Mike Rizzo. It saddens me more that the 2019 World Series team did not get the send-off it deserved. I believe with Rizzo manning the team and as long as the learners put forth a top five to ten payroll, the Nats will always be in contention. I thought that was a really smart email in a lot of ways. And I thought the point he made about the 2019 team actually has a lot of merit to it. I think most objective Nats fans will agree that is the most accomplished Nats team, clearly. That wasn't necessarily the best Nats team of all time. That was an older team. That was a team that required an all-time magical run. You give the team full credit for doing as it did that October. But there actually were some things about that team that made you think, all right, this is great. But really, is this the start of any kind of a run? Or is this more just like an excellent capper to a run that already had been taking place? And I think you look back at it in hindsight, and yeah, it was more the latter. It was just, hey, it was this incredible surge. All credit to the guys for doing that. But it wasn't indicative necessarily of like this Nats team being in a great place. A lot of things broke right for that Nats team in 2019. Yeah, and that's often what it takes to win a title. And it's not always what you would consider to be your best team that wins it all, but the one that was right at the right time. I think the Capitals might feel the same way. Was their Stanley Cup champion their best team? Probably not. They had other teams that won the President's Cup and you thought they were unstoppable and then they get eliminated by the Penguins in the second round. Well, the year they won it all, it just kind of all came together the right time. And I think that's fair to say that that was probably the case for the 2019 Nationals. So it was a good email there from Ian. And one of the thoughts I've had to myself the last 36 hours, as crazy as it's all been, is something that I remember thinking to myself shortly after the World Series, which was this. Was that title the culmination of a long run that finally finished with the visit to the promised land for the one and only time? Or was that the start of a new era of championship baseball around here? And I didn't know the answer at that time, but I think it's very safe to say now that was the culmination. And that's okay. That's all right. And I also thought to myself, we didn't even talk, you you talked about how dramatic the sell-off today was. You know who else had one pretty close to it was the Cubs, (laughs) the team they were playing here. And I couldn't help but think to myself, okay, objectively, which of those two situations would you rather be in? Would you rather have gone through and now be looking ahead to what the Nationals have gone through, let's say over the last decade moving forward, or what the Cubs have gone through over the last decade moving forward? The Cubs won their title in 2016 early in their rebuilding process. It all came together quickly. They had tons of young stars. And when they won it, everybody said, this team is going to win more. And guess what? They didn't. They never really came that close again to doing it. And now they completely tore that down and they're starting over from scratch as well. So in my mind, I almost feel like I'd rather go the Nationals way where you slowly built it up. You had your close calls. You had the heartache of postseason failures. And then it finally all came together in that magical way to win it all. And then, yeah, you tried to hang on for two years and didn't work out. But at the end of that, 
I don't think what the Nationals have done the last two days is an embarrassment at all. I think what the Cubs have done, you could say that there's a little embarrassment to it, that they should have gotten more out of that group than they did. I don't think we can say the Nats should have gotten more out of the group that they did. Well, I mean, the Nats should have won more than one playoff series in terms of until you got to 19. I mean, the Cubs at least made it to three consecutive NLCSs. The Nats, they couldn't win a freaking playoff series until 19. So, I mean, I think it depends on how you want to frame things here. Thank goodness the Nats did do what they did in 2019, because otherwise we'd be having a whole nother conversation right now about the last decade and what ended up being accomplished. But it did kind of build up to that. You're right. And uh, if you're going to kind of go out, that's the way you, you know, like if you're going to if you're going to have your peak season, you want it at the end of that run. And they did have that. So there is kind of a uh, like a storybook aspect to all that. The Cubs remind me of the 1980s Mets because people thought the Mets in the 80s were going to go on a run like that. And the Mets in 86 won the World Series and then never got back to a World Series. You know, they they had a decent year like in 88, but then it all kind of fell apart. And, and the team of the 80s and early 90s ended up not being that. And the Cubs kind of ended up being along the same lines. Got another email I want to get to real quick here. Joel Charney, smart baseball fan. He writes this a lot. He makes a couple of points that I think worth mentioning. Number one, he says, I wrote you earlier in the week saying that the Nats would never do this, especially trade Scherzer. So all credit to Rizzo and the learners for having the guts to go all in. I agree with that. I think that's a big thing we shouldn't lose sight of here. He also writes this. I've been so impressed with how Davey Martinez has handled the total insanity of this season. In Rizzo and Martinez, the Nats have great leadership and the future of the organization is bright. How how would you like to be a Pirates fan or an Orioles fan? There is no comparison. Uh, well, actually, the Orioles have gotten their farm system into a much better place. But yeah, Davey is impressive. And that presser, and I know Davey cries a lot, but him getting emotional on Friday, you, you know, you feel for Davey having to say all these goodbyes to guys over the last few days. Uh, I'll miss these guys, but they'll always be, we'll always have a special bond, especially the guys that were in here at 19. But even the guys, the new guys, the Jay Hayes, you know, Johnny Lester, we go way back. Yeah, it was the very first question I asked it. And I, I kind of teed him up a little bit, knowing that his emotions might be high and asked him to kind of give that general state of things. But yeah, he got emotional right off the bat and understandably so. And you know how hard this hit him. These are his close confidants, his, his, his guys that are now gone. And then, you know, on top of all that, basically his entire coaching staff is watching from hotel rooms because they're not allowed out because of COVID. So, I mean, what, what a bizarre few days here. You know, he was also asked, did you get a chance to say goodbye to Trey Turner? And the answer was no, because Trey is isolated right now. Trey can't even report to the Dodgers until he's cleared the quarantine. So I, just everything about it is so strange and bizarre. And it has been an emotional month, to be honest. And I agree. We talked about this after uh, the shooting outside the ballpark. There is no better public voice of this organization right now than Davey Martinez. He says all the right things. He conveys a compassion that is genuine. Even in him talking after the game about the fans and how they were into this game. Like he said, our fans, they, they mean the world to us. Like that matters to him. It's not an act. It, it's legitimate. And I do deep down wonder what he's thinking right now because he's the guy who always just tries to go one and oh every day. And since he got the job here, he's been charged with trying to win and trying to win big. And all of a sudden for the first time, that may not be the charge for him anymore. And is he going to be able to do that? Or is he going to not be able to let go of the idea of we're doing everything we can to win today's game? And maybe that's fine if he continues that approach. But there, there's probably going to be a game here at some point where 
the thing that the organization wants him to do is to leave a young guy out there and find out how he can handle a tough situation. And Davey's going to be tempted to bring in somebody with more experience and try to win the game. And I'll be fascinated to see how that plays out, whether it's this year, next year, beyond. This is going to be a, a big change for Davey. This is not what he is used to. He said he hates the word rebuild, and, and I don't blame him, but, but this is the situation he's in now. Yeah, well, Davey was with Joe Madden for years with the Rays and with the Cubs, so you would think Davey has an understanding, right, of the big picture, and, you know, you take a step back to take multiple steps forward. You know, with Davey, hearing you talk about him, it, it strikes me, this is maybe sounds like a, an odd comparison, but Joe Gibbs used to do the same thing, where, like, uh, he would invoke the fans, came off like a very nice man and a good person, and it always came off genuine with Joe, and it comes off the same way with Davey. And uh, that, to me, that's a very powerful thing. It's a, it's a very good thing to have in terms of, like, your head coach slash manager, someone who comes off like a very likable guy. You understand why players like playing for Davey. You know, he, he's not a phony. He's not a jerk. Like, he, he seems to be a good person and someone who you, you feel like, really feel like you can relate to. And I think it's a very good thing to have, especially in this day and age with, you know, a lot of things going on. So I just recently started watching Ted Lasso. I don't know if you've seen it. No, I haven't. And somebody had already meant, made this comparison beforehand, and I'm already seeing it like four or five episodes in. There's some similarities to Davey. It's about a coach who is viewed as kind of a country bumpkin. He ends up in England coaching a soccer team. He knows nothing about soccer. And he starts winning everyone over with his personality and his genuine caring for everyone and positivity. And there's a lot of Davey Martinez and, and Ted Lasso and vice versa. I'm fascinated to watch the rest of the series, how it goes. Uh, and somebody had mentioned that they, to me that they, they thought there were similarities there. And there's something to be said for that. It's not all just X's and O's in sports. It's about leadership. It's about compassion. It's about relating to everyone and a, a, an authenticity that not everyone in those positions always has. Well, we want to thank everyone because uh, Friday, July 30th, was our highest single downloaded day ever. So we appreciate that so much. And uh, we want to keep the momentum going with the podcast. So thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. If you don't already subscribe, please consider doing so. And uh, if you haven't already, please consider giving the podcast a five-star rating and just writing like a one-sentence review, uh, saying how much you like the podcast, doing that helps us out a lot. Uh, We also are uh, proud to say that the Nats Chat podcast now will be on the broadcast for the Fred Nats during rain delays. So we're excited for that. We're on in Richmond on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., a uh, best of show on ESPN 1061. And now we're going to be on Fred Nats broadcast during rain delays. So I know nobody likes a rain delay, but at least there's that, uh, a silver lining to a rain delay uh, if you're at a Fred Nats game. So we appreciate that so much. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chatter, courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. One, two from Gray. The seven pitch to Flores. Strikes him out. First one is a big leaguer for JoJo Gray. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-Month Emergency Food Kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. 
My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com